Checking In, a podcast from Self Magazine. I'm Carolyn Kilstra, the Editor-in-Chief of Self, here to help you work through life's big and small questions about health and wellness. Today's question comes from somebody who recently came out as queer. She wants to know how she should get started dating women, and also what she needs to know about sex, how to have it, how to be safe, important stuff. We're going to share her question in a second. But first, a quick note about this episode. In the first half, we're going to hear from a sex therapist. She's going to talk very directly about the logistics here. Safe sex basics, dating while queer, how to learn how to have sex in the first place. And then in the second half of our show today, I'm going to be talking to Jonathan Van Ness, yes, of Queer Eye fame, all about building confidence in relationships and in life. We're really excited about this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. And now, our listener question. Hello, I'm Raven. I'm calling from Melbourne, Australia. Well, it took it took a couple of years there to actually come out truly. I came out with my friends and then along the way, it took about six years altogether, I finally came out to my parents. But then once that had occurred, I was trying to figure out, you know, going through dating apps and things like that, how to actually start that communication with another woman. And I realized that the level of confidence I had with talking with a man was completely different to the level of confidence I had with trying to talk with a woman. It's The difference was staggering to me because usually I'm pretty confident. But the moment I tried to talk to a woman, I got so nervous. I got so anxious about it. I didn't know what to do. So I just ended up not doing anything at all. As a newly out queer person, how do you go about beginning a relationship now that you're out? I think every person who comes out as queer in adulthood has um, these questions about, you know, how do I date someone of the same gender? And how could how could we not have those questions as people who were given one script and one template that now gets thrown out the window? This is Casey Tanner, a queer sex therapist based in Chicago. She works mostly with young queer people, and she sees a lot of people that are in Raven's shoes in one way or another. So we asked her, how do people get from being newly out to having the kinds of dating experiences and relationships that they're looking for? I think the, the first place I start, and this is so therapisty, but I'm a therapist, so I can't help it, is just helping people to be patient with themselves. The other piece of it, too, is, you know, for people who are socialized as women— we're socialized to believe that we're not supposed to be the pursuers in a relationship. We're supposed to be the people receiving that pursual and that, you know, there's something maybe even wrong with us if we're the pursuer in the relationship. And so suddenly now you're, you know, you're realizing you're queer, you're starting to date the same gender, and suddenly you're put in a position where you maybe have to be the initiator and the pursuer. Okay, so this helps explain a little bit about what Raven is experiencing. But how can she overcome these challenges? I think the same way that heterosexual people learn how to be in relationships in community. I mean, if you think about, you know, being at a sleepover in seventh grade, talking about your crushes, you know, that's that's so normalized in the heterosexual community. But when we get to be, you know, think about Raven's age, being 23, you know, it's harder to find that community to talk about your firsts with. There aren't a lot of people having those firsts at 23. Raven told us that, about 95% of her community is straight. That means that she doesn't have these friends who will validate her experiences or offer advice that she can really use. 
So one suggestion that Casey had for her was to use dating apps. I think in the straight world is kind of a no-no. Like, why are you on a dating app trying to to make friends. But in the queer community, I've found that it's actually pretty common that folks might be looking to date, but they might also have in their profile looking for other queer friends, looking for new queer connections. She also suggested checking out queer Facebook groups that exist in most cities and groups from meetup.com. For some other ideas, there's also a great article by Rachel Miller and Vice that we can link to in the show notes. In the article, Rachel recommends following queer comedians on Twitter or peeking at queer meme accounts and couples accounts on Instagram, getting into lesbian TikTok. She says to think about this like you're obsessively studying an older sibling's yearbook the summer before starting high school. Knowing where you're headed makes it easier to settle in once you get there. So, great. Meet people. Do your research. Make friends. And then what? Casey says, then just do it. Put yourself out there. See what happens. And... Be prepared for it to be pretty uncomfortable, at least at first. The first time you reach out to another woman on a dating app, it's going to feel terrifying. And the second time, it probably will feel terrifying. And the fifth time, it might still feel a little bit terrifying. But by the 10th, 11th, 12th time, you'll find yourself actually feeling like you know what you're doing and realizing, you know what, it's not the end of the world if they don't respond. Or it's not the end of the world if it doesn't turn into a relationship. And I think it's just by that repeated exposure to our anxiety and showing ourselves we can survive it, that confidence just naturally develops. One thing that Raven already has working in her favor is she's thought a lot about the kind of relationship dynamic that she's looking for. Here's Raven again. I like people who are kind and they're sweet, who are affectionate, who are open in their communication. If they like something, they let me know. If they don't like something, they let me know. What she feels less certain about is the kind of sex she wants to have. But like sexually, I'm still I'm still like I have an idea, but the idea I feel is a bit warped by what media has shown me about what is a queer relationship between two women. With, with the heterosexual dating, you understand that you do have to have that talk about um, consent, what is and is not okay in the sex. And you have that talk about birth control and then past sexual partners and, you know, sexually transmitted illnesses or diseases. Are there more things you now have to ask or less things you have to ask as well? This is a big question. It's hard to know where to begin. We learned all these things in typical heterosexual sex ed. Sexually transmitted infections, condoms, birth control. The truth is that these conversations can still apply to queer sex, too. Well, STIs are still a thing, even in queer relationships. Um, you know, research does show that in lesbian relationships, they're less prevalent, but they they certainly are still a thing. And, you know, I think when we think about lesbian sex, we think, oh, I'll never need to use a condom again. Um, and that's not necessarily true. You know, if you're using toys or dildos, it can be really helpful um, and hygienic to put a condom on it, especially if you're going to be sharing toys, um, sharing toys with multiple partners or sharing toys between between two partners in a relationship. Another important thing to pay attention to, Casey says, is cleanliness or protection for your hands. If you're going to be doing a lot of manual stimulation like fingering, so important to be washing your hands, especially if you're going to be moving between stimulating the vagina and stimulating the anus, for example. Just recognizing that you don't want to switch between um, different holes without 
washing your hands or putting on a glove or at least switching fingers or hands. Um, and then, you know, dental dams, lesbians sort of laugh at the idea of dental dams, but I think that they are so wonderful if you find yourself in a relationship with somebody who does have an STI, but you still want the intimacy of having some form of oral sex. Um, dental dams are totally still an option. And she also wants you to remember that, yes, pregnancy may still be an issue too. Not all women have vulvas, right? And and many women do have penises. And even if they are taking hormones, pregnancy can still be possible. Um, and so really educating yourself on that possibility and, and using some form of birth control if that's the case. There's a lot more, of course. Casey also talked about the magic of lube for keeping our tissues safe. But beyond the mechanics of safe queer sex, there's the whole other issue of how do you even learn what you like? So we asked Casey... How did she learn? I learned in therapy. Um, I, I actually— Tell me more about that. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to tell you more. So I, you know, I met a woman that I was interested in, and I went to my therapist, and I said, I have literally no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea how to have sex with her. In fact, I don't even masturbate. So I don't even know what my body likes. And— she was fantastic. She literally drew a diagram of the vulva for me and showed me what the clitoris is. I didn't even know what the clitoris was at the time um, and talked about clitoral stimulation and how important that is, which, by the way, everyone needs to know, not just queer people. But, you know, this was essential as a somebody who is going to be having sex with people with clitorises. Another thing Casey's therapist did was she gave her some homework. She told her to go down the street to a sex shop and buy herself a vibrator. And it's not as if, you know, every woman is the same. It's not as if we all have the same body parts. But there is a lot that can be learned through masturbation about how a vulva works, what a vagina is like, what a clitoris is like. And if you're a person with a vagina dating someone else with, else with a vagina, you actually have an opportunity to sort of learn by doing and learn by doing on oneself. Um, and so I think just understanding anatomy helped me be more confident. And then understanding my own pleasure, um, I think, opened me up in a big way. Casey also learned by doing once she eventually started sleeping with women. I paid attention to what they were doing. Um, you know, I started out seeing somebody who was more experienced than me, and I just sort of took in what she was doing, and I learned from her. I asked a lot of questions um, I don't think that by any means we have to disclose when it's our first time being with a woman. But I also think that if it lowers your anxiety to do so, give yourself permission to say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm new at this and I'm, you know, I'm open to learning. And we can laugh about it. Okay, so we've talked about some basics for keeping your body safe and healthy. We've talked about figuring out your own barometers for pleasure. What else does Raven need to know? I think when it comes to queer sex or really sex with anybody, you just can't make assumptions. Um, and that that even starts with the basics. You can't even make assumptions about what body parts people are going to have based on their gender identity, right? Not all women have vulvas. Not all men have penises. And so I think starting out, you know, being open to the idea that just because you know someone's gender doesn't mean that you actually know anything about them. There actually isn't a universal list of rules for how to have queer sex at all, or any kind of sex. I've written a lot about sex and relationships in my career as a journalist. And the closest thing there are to hard and fast rules about sex is that consent and communication and respect for people are vital. I would even take that to the next level and say, 
that something that I think queer people are really good at is is what I call being a trauma-informed partner or being aware that your partner has maybe, and maybe, you know, I would, in the, in the queer community, it's even more likely that folks have experienced some form of trauma, even if that trauma is, you know, homophobia. So going into relationships, knowing that it's likely your partner might have experienced this, what does that look like practically? You know, never forcing anyone to share those stories, but being open to the ways in which those stories can help us learn about how to take care of our partners. Um, So this involves things like, it's not just, you know, consent about whether or not you want to have sex. It's consent about what do you call your body parts? It's consent about how you touch certain body parts. And so I think breaking down consent even further to include language and and any form of touch. Casey says that we really lack the scripts for having these kinds of conversations. And it's something that you'll definitely learn as you date more in the queer community. But how does somebody even get started having these conversations? So, you know, for example, let's say you find yourself on a date and you are kissing a woman and you feel or you have the sense that potentially this could escalate into something more sexual. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying something like, hey, I, I love where this is headed. I'm having so much fun and I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but if we want to take this further, I'd love to just check in about anything I need to know to make this experience feel right for you um, and to share the same for me. Um, and I think that can be so nerve-wracking because it's it's not normalized. And yet, I think that people are so appreciative of those questions. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to say, hey, is there anything I should know about what you call your body or what I shouldn't call your body? Um, is there anything I need to know about places that um, that you don't like being touched? What about if Raven is worried about being good in bed? Like, what about mm. this this concern about, like, I, I'm just worried about impressing my partner? Well, I think I would say let yourself off the hook because if you're doing anything for the first time, you're not, you're not going to be an expert at it. The thing that you do have, though, is curiosity and enthusiasm and excitement. And when I think about what it's like to be, quote, unquote, good in bed, whatever that means, I think about um, people being present with each other, being enthusiastic, and being curious. And so often it's not actually about any type of skill set or body shape or size of a body part. It's actually about the connection and the attitude. And if you're excited to have sex with somebody, and especially if it's your first time, you have the benefit of showing up with, you know, being invigorated by that. And so good and bad is just, it's, uh, it's not always the most helpful phrasing. And, you know, what the research actually says is that the most important thing is, is being present. It's not about whatever skillfulness you have. And being present means paying attention, tuning into your body, tuning into your partner's responses and what they want. Yeah, I think, you know, a really simple intervention I do for folks who struggle to be present is just if when you're having sex or even practicing when you're masturbating, just going down the list of each of your five senses and seeing what you can notice. Okay, what am I seeing right now? What smells are there? What tastes are there? What sounds am I hearing? It's just a very structured way to be able to tap into what, what the body is sensing. Okay, so the last thing I want to ask Casey is, 
what are some of the most common misconceptions people have about lesbian sex? As we've discussed, most of Raven's friends are straight, and I want to make sure to update the record for her on some of the things that she might be hearing that aren't actually true. Oh my gosh, so many things. Where do I begin? You know, I think the, probably the biggest one is that um, in a lesbian relationship, one person is the, quote, man, and the other is the, quote, woman, whatever that means. Like, whether that's like, okay, one person has to be the top, one person has to be the bottom, one person has to be more butch or masculine, and the other has to be more femme. And all of all of those myths come from, you know, compulsive heterosexuality. There are some relationships where one identifies as a, a butch person and the other identifies as femme, and yet uh, any mix and match will do. There's no rule about that. Um, you don't need to limit yourself to a certain type of person to date based off of who you are and what your gender expression is. So that's one thing. Um, I think there's also the misconception that every time lesbians have sex, they're really doing one of two things. Either they're wearing a strap-on or they're scissoring. It's like really one or the other. When, sure, like some some lesbians scissor and many lesbians use strap-ons and those are great and valid. And yet there are so many other things that lesbians do. You know, there's fingering, there's fisting, there's oral, there's, you know, touching on all the other erogenous zones. And so, you know, I think that, you know, potentially Raven is imagining this very narrow-minded sort of heterosexually informed view of sex when I think queer sex is actually very creative. Um, once you, you know, once you've learned to throw one script out the window, it becomes easier to throw other scripts out the window. So that's a lot to process, and hopefully it's been helpful to you so far, Raven. Next, we're going to talk to Jonathan Van Ness about confidence and vulnerability right after this short break. In the first half of this episode, we talked specifics. Meeting new people as a newly out queer woman, safe sex practices, having to learn how to have sex with somebody new in general. But now we're going to get a bit more theoretical. Because when I was thinking about Raven's question, I couldn't stop thinking about confidence and vulnerability. Which made me think about Jonathan Van Ness. Raven, I too would be very... Nervous and lacking confidence in trying to hit on women. I, I wouldn't know where to start. And I, you know, every time I, you know, I just want to braid ladies' hair and talk about shoes and, and bags. And, and then also politics. That's Jonathan. Jonathan is a memoirist, comedian, podcast host, hairstylist, and one of the five stars of Queer Eye on Netflix. He's also Self's December cover star. He's made a name for himself, in part, by giving advice and helping people learn to outwardly express their true inner selves. Jonathan is non-binary and uses the pronouns he, she, and they. He doesn't date women, so he can't give the type of advice that Casey can. But he can speak from the perspective of being a queer person who has struggled with confidence issues. His memoir, Over the Top, A Raw Journey to Self-Love, documents his experiences in learning to love himself for who he is. So he has a lot of great advice for Raven and for anyone else who feels insecure in relationships and who wants to build up their confidence. His first piece of advice starts with a concept he learned from the author Brene Brown, shame resilience, which means essentially building empathy for yourself when shame arises instead of fear or blame or disconnect. Jonathan says that the more shame resilience you have, 
the easier it becomes to put yourself out there. Because any one rejection won't hold as much power. Casey talked about this too. The most scary part about dating, period, is this like sense of rejection. Like, oh my God, I put myself out there and like I was rejected. And that's like what shame resilience deals with is that like, even if you do encounter a perception of rejection, or if you really do just get outright like, or outright like, Eh, no, I'm not into you. It's like, you're not my type, whatever, which I've also, you know, experienced all those things. Um, it's, it doesn't put you into like a long, you know, situation of like you questioning your worth or questioning your ability to be loved and, you know, uh, nurtured by someone who is worthy of, of seeing you for how amazing and lovely you are. Okay, so shame resilience. Easier said than done though, right? I asked Jonathan for more specifics. How can somebody find the courage to build up that resilience in the first place, especially as part of the queer community? Part of it is the the first thing is safety. Like the first thing is safety because we live in a world where gender nonconforming and non-binary and trans folks will literally get murdered. The misogyny and white supremacy that still lives within the gender binary and thrives very well has still, I think, makes people that identify as gender nonconforming or who are gender nonconforming, whether they know it or not at this point, makes it very hard. My gender nonconforming and non-binary and trans Black friends and people of color, um, it's even worse. I mean, I just think that the level of transphobia, both within the gay community and without, like from just the everyone, it makes it very difficult to to find the courage and the strength and the patience to to find yourself. This is really important. Queer individuals are nearly four times more likely to be victims of violent crimes as non-queer folks. And we're seeing more reports of violence against trans people of color than ever. The fact that this violence is so common underscores how essential safety really is here. I remember being like 16 and putting on hose and like a mini dress and like a scarf over my hair. And I like drove in my car like a town over so I could just like go to a coffee shop dressed as like how I felt. And not, and I mean, at the time I was like, I didn't know if I was trans or not. I just knew that I like didn't feel like a man or like an adolescent boy. Like I was like, I just think there's something else. And I remember like when I went into this coffee shop, I got three steps outside of the car with two of my friends and we got chased back in. I mean, chased back into the car. Like there was no going to Hannibal, Missouri. Like there, like, Henny, no, unless you're going to like Chicago or like New York city. Like, so, I mean, it was like, I mean, literally getting chased by like five grown men of like, who's that? You know, I mean, just, just exactly is how you would picture it. So Safety, right? His next tip is also similar to something that Casey said. It really helps to have friends in the queer community who you can talk to about what you're going through. Finding other people going through similar situations or who've already been through them before can be incredibly affirming. Once you feel like you're in a safe space where you can experiment, it's like finding your queer community, like your chosen family that will love and accept you no matter what. And I think that's obviously part of the risk of coming out of any closet to anybody. It's like, oh my God, are they going to reject me? But I think our intuition does a pretty good job of like leading us to someone who, you know, a friend that we can talk to, to start to open that dialogue up with. Could even be a therapist if you're someone who can afford a therapist and you just don't feel like you have that friend. 
Now, here's where we take a moment to acknowledge that even with a strong, supportive community, dating can be really hard. The process of getting more comfortable with yourself, of building up that shame resilience, it doesn't happen overnight. Jonathan experienced his own share of anxiety and stress around dating in his early 20s, even though he wasn't newly out as queer the way Raven is. I feel like when I was 23, not to be like when I was that age, but when I was that age, when I was in my early 20s, I really felt like such an impending sense of doom about like my relational status, my financial future, if anyone was ever going to want to fuck me, like if I'd ever find like a like long-lasting love. Like I was really really high anxiety about those things. Like financial future, romantic relational future, extremely concerned. So much so that I ended up getting like really addicted to drugs and kind of like didn't have that much fun during my 20s. Jonathan says that, in his experience, a lot of that insecurity came from comparing himself to others and also not really knowing what he wanted in the first place. I I think I really suffered from that whole, like, I call it sex in the city syndrome, where I was like, why is everyone else in a relationship? And like, I'm not, like, am I defective? Like, does no one want me? Like, and then also, one thing that I talk a lot about in my book is that idea of like normalcy and how when I realized that I thought, I was like, oh my God, am I not normal? And like wanting to be normal and like being fearful that I wasn't normal. And to me, that kind of feels adjacent to confidence because if you're confident, you're like, I'm fine. I'm good. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm stunning. Like, why wouldn't you want a little bit of this? So his next piece of advice is to stop comparing yourself to others and instead focus on trying out different things to figure out what you like. There isn't this, like, monicum gold standard of, like, you know, confidence or normalcy or the way that you're supposed to do it. So, like, literally, Raven, like, the way that you're doing it is right where you're meant to be. And then I think really it's just like wading more into those, some of the situations that you'll find yourself in dating, like in that world, then you'll kind of know more about like, you know, like that felt good for me. That didn't feel good for me. Like I'd like to do more of that. Jonathan also stresses what he calls compassion for pace. That means don't feel like you need to have it all figured out immediately. I think so many people will see me now at 33 years old wearing what I wear. And and also just to be clear, like being non-binary so much more than my clothes, it's who I am. But it took me like literal decades to be able to identify as gender non-conforming. I mean, there was shame about identifying as gender non-conforming. So I was like, will anybody ever want, I'm, you know, will anyone want me if I'm not too? Like, because there's such an emphasis, especially, you know, in the gay world of like being a certain body type and having a certain look and being masculine enough so that at least like where I came from, that that it took me so long to like unpack that and unlearn some of those, a lot of those things. Which brings us to Jonathan's last big piece of advice for Raven and for anyone, honestly, who's struggling with confidence in dating. It actually has nothing to do with dating at all. Also, maybe. I would be curious to see, like, what her version of, like, figure skating or gymnastics is. Jonathan, for those who don't know, is and has always been extremely into figure skating and gymnastics. Whole chapters of his memoir are about his love for these sports. You have to know what brings you joy. You gotta know who you are before you... I mean, you can date other people, you can do whatever, but it sounds to me like maybe we're trying to get our sense of confidence based off of others' reactions to us. Go to what you're interested in. 
Like, take the dating away from it. What are you interested in, Raven? Like, what do you want to do? Do you, does, does running, is it yoga? Is it Pilates? Is it painting? Is it sculpting? Like, what brings you unbridled childlike joy? There are a lot of benefits to finding your joy. It may help you meet more people, for starters. But even better, it'll give you another source of confidence outside of your relationships with others. And finally, it'll help you know yourself better and hopefully help you be more comfortable being yourself too, both inside and outside relationships. And it can be life-changing when you find someone who loves you for you and when you can be your whole true self in a relationship. Jonathan remembers the first time a partner fully embraced his femininity and how good that felt. It's when we had been dating for like a couple weeks and he'd stayed over on a Saturday night and I was going to go teach my like Sunday morning yoga class. And when I teach yoga, like I would wear like tights with like little teensy tiny booty shorts and like a crop top. Um, And so I remember like, you know, like we were in bed and I was like, I'm going to go change for yoga now. And when I come out, I'm going to be in tights and really little shorts and a crop top. And he was like, when I lift weights, I wear gym shorts. And I was like, okay. And he was like, so I don't really, like, show me your outfit. I love it. Like, I don't really care what you wear to go teach yoga. Like, let's just go to class so we're not late. And I was like, oh, my God. So I think that was, you know, very exciting for me. Do you feel like over time, because that was in your earlier 20s, do you feel like over time it was moments like that that kind of helped you feel more comfortable being yourself? Like, was there two, like, you talk a lot about, like, recovery going two steps forward, three steps back, five, you know. Do you feel like feeling comfortable in with who you are is also a similar process? Yes. And also, like, even what you were saying at the very beginning of, like, you know, you've been on this journey of self-acceptance, and I'm like, I am so on it still. Sometimes I'm, like, you know, not as confident and don't feel as great and do make mistakes and wish I could do certain things better. So I'm definitely not like a benevolent, like perfect creature at all. His point is maybe a little scary, but also a little reassuring. It absolutely gets easier. But also sometimes feeling confident and comfortable with yourself is a bumpy, windy road. And that journey towards self-actualization or self-acceptance or whatever you want to call it, maybe it doesn't really ever end. And that's okay. I don't think you ever get to a destination of learning about yourself and accepting yourself. And I think if you ever do think like, oh my God, I have learned everything I need to learn. And I think I've accepted everything that there is to accept. You're like, look both ways because the bus is about to get you, girl. So um, I always want to keep learning and keep growing. And yeah, and I just, I hope everyone else does too. So there you have it. Raven, I hope this advice was helpful. The practical, the philosophical, and everything in between. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine. And I'm at Carolyn Kilstra. On our audio team, supervising producer is Odelia Rubin. Lead producer is Haley Faker. Executive producer is Shara Morris. Producer is Phoebe Unterman. Associate producers are Andrea Batanzos and Kate Mishkin. And sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the self-team, the editorial lead is Sarah Yalowitz. Special projects director is Amy Isinger. 
Researchers are Amy Martrana Winderall and Colleen de Belfond. The theme music is by Biscuit and Butter, courtesy of Blaze Unlimited LLC. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum Media. Thanks for listening. See you next week.